Hey everyone, this is Ken. Uh, just a couple announcements before we move into the episode. First, this episode is sponsored by Cress Biblical Resources. Go to CressBiblical.com where you can get 40% off and free shipping on orders $20 or more with promo code DOTHEOLOGY. That's do space theology, all lowercase. 40% off and free shipping on orders $20 or more. It does not get much better than this when it comes to promo codes, so I encourage you to take advantage of that. One of the books that you could get is The Old and the New by Michael Vlock, which we interviewed. Uh, We interviewed Michael Vlock about this book, and it was a great interview. You can find that back in the RSS feed. encourage you to go listen to that. encourage you to pick up this resource. It's something that you will reference time and time again as you're studying the scriptures. So go to crestbiblical.com and take advantage of that promo code. Second thing is this week we have launched our Do Theology March Madness style tournament. In the past, we've done different things. This year, we are doing Christian books, some of the best Christian books of all time that have ever been written, going head-to-head against one another, and you get to vote and decide who wins. So go over to facebook.com slash do theology, vote for your favorite books, or you can also engage on Twitter, twitter.com slash do theology, and vote for the books that you want to see in the final rounds. Without any further ado, on with the episode. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement, gahata, anda, ata, I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic, it's watered down, it has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. All right, welcome back to another episode of Do Theology, where we are accompanied by John Owen and Toto. I got Toto today over here. Oh, hey. Yeah, it was a Christmas present from my mother-in-law. The best of Toto on vinyl. How many of our listeners could say they get that from their mother-in-law for Christmas, huh? Huh? Probably very few. And we've got John Owen with Toto. How, how many podcasts have ever been released that have <laughs> featured that combination? My guess is also very few. <laughs> John Owen, the uh, the original Paul Washer, uh, you could say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Tends to be a very polarizing guy, like Washer. Um, Puritan, lived a long, long time ago. What's, what's interesting about John Owen, um, we've talked about this in our Tuesday morning men's group that's going through this book, Rules for Walking in Fellowship by by John Owen. John Owen was born in 1616. When he was born, the King James Bible was five years old. So that wow. it was just a totally different time. I mean, that, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? That's crazy. My, uh, I, I've got kids that were born in 2014, 2015, and 2017. And so we're talking straight up. 400 years ago. That's just, I don't know, kind of crazy to think about. Totally different time. Yeah. Usually, John Owen is a challenging read. Mm-hmm. And I've got I've got a book over here that's a combination of three of his books, Mortification of Sin, 
Um, I can't remember the titles of the other three, but it's combined into one the death book. of death and the death of Christ. It Probably. you're slogging through. And it's like, okay, you got to read a paragraph and you got to chew on that. Like you got to, you got to really engage your thinking faculties to, to really power through yep. some difficult reading. But this yep. book is not quite that way, is it? No, no. It's uh, it's simpler to read. This is published by Reformation Heritage Books. It's from their Puritan Treasures for Today series. And uh, they've done a great job of making this really simple. It's a very concise book. So like the chapter we're going to be talking about today, one of the rules for walking in fellowship is preserving unity in the church. And it's just four little pages. Uh, you know, for those watching, you can see how tiny the book is here. Uh, it's just four of those little pages, and over half of that is just proof texts that he lists. Yet, our Tuesday morning men's group, it takes us you know, a couple weeks to go through each chapter, because there's a lot, as we pause and we talk, there's just a lot to say. But uh, another plug for the book, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, uh, Carl Truman is on the back, whose podcast is a play on one of John Owens' books, Right. Mortification of Sin. Carl Truman's podcast is Mortification of Spin. <laughs> uh, Carl Truman says about this little book, Rules for Walking in Fellowship, everything Owen wrote is worth reading, but some of his books are more accessible than others. Like we were just saying. Yeah. <laughs> this little practical, little practical treatise is a great way to meet a great Christian mind as it deals with the most basic elements of the Christian's life in his church. And so this is a, it's just a really good book. It's been very beneficial for our men's group. So I highly recommend it from Reformation Heritage. But as so we were why, going through... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, why are we talking about this book today? Yeah. As we were going through chapter 11, Preserving Unity, I I sent you a picture the night before uh, we had our study because I was reading the, the chapter where he's talking about unity. And I said, I think John Owen ripped off the chart. Our do theology chart. And then you replied, well, at least we know time travel's real. That's right. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting. He talks about a threefold paradigm for thinking about Christian unity. But uh, before we get into how he describes these three different views of unity, maybe, Ken, it would be good for us to do just a really brief overview of our chart and how it relates to Christian unity. And how it's how when we say the threefold unity, we're not talking about the three forms of unity, right? <laughs> so obviously, so we are our episode, our uh, our podcast is all about this chart, right? And for uh, our seasoned listeners, maybe you're tired of hearing about this, but I hope not, because I hope it continues to be helpful and fruitful for your life. And for some of our newer listeners, if you're not familiar, dotheology.com/slash/chart. You can see our chart that our whole uh, content, all of our podcast is based off of how we know which things we ought to fight over, which things we ought to be divisive over when it comes to doctrine and theology of the Christian life, and, and just all the, all the different things in scriptures, which things are we free to have disagreements over, and which ones should we actively pursue unity even in the face of differences of opinions on those things. And to so use... the whole Gavin Ortland's language, which hills should we die on? Right, exactly. So we have the the chart is based, you know, there's three columns. There's a primary doctrine. These things are definitional to Christianity. They're the most foundational and basic aspects of Christianity. Crystal clear things in scripture. 
no matter what hermeneutical approach, if you're bringing a, a hermeneutical approach that affirms the authority of scripture, you are going to embrace these things that we have in the primary doctrine column. These are the things that we ought to be divisive about. Like if someone differs on these things, we're willing to say, I'm sorry, I need to call you to repentance. I'm sorry, you are not a, a historic Orthodox Christian, according to what scriptures say, according to how the church has always viewed these things. And so those are things we are worth dividing over. Uh, the second column, secondary doctrine. These are things that because of different hermeneutical approaches, we're going to land in different places on these issues. So think of Calvinism, Arminianism, uh, our view of eschatology, what's going to happen at the end of all things, uh, the, our different methods of how we observe baptism, how we observe communion, et cetera. These different things are, are rooted in different church traditions. They're rooted in different hermeneutics, but we are all still believers in the same gospel. We all still can affirm one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, even if that means we're probably going to end up in different churches in many cases, we still affirm one another as genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. So there is a, a kind of unity that we can have with differences within these, but there may be times when there's still going to be some uh, divisions based off of practical matters when we view things like baptism so radically differently. We're going to end up Sunday on Sunday mornings, we're going to end up worshiping with different congregations usually. Right. Because of these issues. Right. And then finally, doubtful things. Uh, these are conscience matters. These are things that we want to apply biblical principles. We want to seek to pursue wisdom. We want to listen to our conscience. But there is freedom from God within the body to have different opinions on these things. And we can have these different opinions. We can have these different approaches and still be members in good standing in the same church. So these are the, the typical conscience matters that we think of, our use of alcohol, uh, what Bible translations you're going to use, how you're going to celebrate different holidays, uh, your, your personal music preferences, et cetera, all these different things. We apply wisdom, we listen to our conscience, and we seek biblical principles, but there's freedom in Christ within the body to have different opinions on these things, and again, remain as members in good standing in the same church. So we could say that there are three different ways of looking at Christian unity because of that, and John Owen's going to get into that with his, again, threefold unity. But just a really, really quick note, of like a footnote, we're not saying three forms of unity. Three forms of unity is a phrase that has a specific meaning in the Reformed world uh, that talks about three particular confessions that are accepted, and so if you, um, in some Reformed communities, if you're going to be accepted in their community, it's going to be on the basis of accepting the three forms of unity, which are, we just looked them up a little bit ago, Belgic the, Confession. The Heidelberg Catechism and the Canons of Dort. Okay, those three. So uh, we're not talking about that. So that's just a footnote. We're talking about something entirely different. We're talking about something that we made, the chart. And then we're talking about something that John Owen made, which is his threefold look at unity. Now, when I was reading through this chapter, preparing for that Tuesday morning study, when right when he said threefold, I, my my eyes were just getting bigger and bigger because I thought, here here we go. And sure enough, I think he comes to a similar conclusion as guys like you and me when he considers how all this stuff works. But let, let's just read through. I'll read the first paragraph, and then we'll we'll pause and discuss. He says, unity is threefold. 
First, spiritual unity by the participation of the same Spirit of grace, communion with the same Christ, who is one head to all. This we have with all the saints in the world, wherever they are, even with those who have departed and are sitting down in the kingdom of heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that first form, type of unity is a spiritual unity that all saints in the world have in common. I think this sounds a lot like primary doctrine, don't you, Ken? Sure does. <laughs> yeah, all the, the primary things of the faith, brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, uh, we were just talking as you were giving the overview of the chart. When we got to secondary doctrine, there was, you know, we made the, the note of on Sunday mornings, we're going to end up in different places, usually because of those doctrines. Right. But when we think of primary doctrine, that is what's definitional to the faith. That's what, th- those are the doctrines that are the substance of Christianity altogether. And that's what, that's what creates a family of God, is this belief system, this worldview that we all have in common, that every Christian shares in this definition of the faith. Um, you know, if, I think we all understand if you remove the gospel— from Christianity, then what do we have in common? Well, nothing. But it mm-hmm. even goes beyond that when you think about the Trinity, our reverence for the Bible because it's inerrant and authoritative. Um, these issues, these theological issues that we're dogmatic on, our, our body of ethics and morality, we we have agreement on these things because we are brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. That's primary doctrine. Reading the same scriptures and coming to the con- same conclusions on these matters and this this really answers the question, how can it be? So this past Saturday, I attended a mini conference where there were Presbyterians, there were Reformed Baptists, there were non-denominationalists, there were myself, there's a whole bunch of di- people coming from different walks of the Christian world. And yet we we're all coming together and we all were singing the same hymns and enjoying and worshiping God together, singing those same hymns. We were all sitting and listening to uh, a presenter talk about things related to uh, the Bible and thing. And, and uh, I won't get into all what the what the conference was all about. I'll take us on a side tangent, but we all had this unity and we all embraced one another as brothers, enjoying fellowship, enjoying the meal together. How could that be when we have such radically different positions on all these on on all this secondary doctrine? It's because we all affirm the primary things. Mm-hmm. We all have the same gospel. We all know what what the Trinity is, and we have a, a a common understanding and a common embracing of the things that are primary to the faith. Yeah, and there's a reason why both John Owen and we in our chart start there. I mean, John Owen says unity is threefold. First is this spiritual unity, yes. and that's it's important that we start there because that is the basis for everything else that follows. How can we have any unity at all? Well, because we all have met together, like you were just saying, Ken, in these in the definition of Christianity. We're Christians. How can we have any unity at all? Well, because we're Christians and we have a lot of agreement. So often our disagreements get highlighted and we think, well, how could how could we join that person in fellowship or do that ministry with that person because of this, that, or the other thing? Well, you have to think through some sort of a paradigm. You have to have a paradigm. Mm-hmm where you say, is that a big deal or not? That's why we say this podcast is we're keeping doctrine in its place. There are going to be some things that come up 
that infringe on this spiritual unity that John Owen calls it, or primary doctrine as we call it. Yes. There will be those things, and you have to address those. You can't overlook those. But if it's not a primary issue, it's not going to have as big of an impact <laughs> on your life. So you have to find some sort of a paradigm, whether that's our chart or something else, but it has to be uh, reflected in Scripture. It has to be actually birthed out of Scripture. Otherwise, it's just arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Amen. He goes on and says, the second aspect of this unity is ecclesiastical unity or church communion in the participation of ordinances according to the order of the gospel. This is a fruit and branch of the former. It is opposed to schism, divisions, rifts, evil suspicions, self-practices, and groundless differences in judgment and spiritual things concerning the kingdom of Christ. It is opposed to whatever prevents our closeness of affection, oneness of mind, consent to the form of sound words, and conformity to our practice to this rule. And this is earnestly pressed, commanded, and desired in and among the churches as being the glory of of Christ, the honor of the gospel, the joy and crown of the saints. Ecclesiastical unity is the second aspect of unity, as Mr. Owen puts it there. What are your thoughts? I like that line where after that first sentence, he says, this is a fruit and branch of the former. Ecclesiastical unity flows out of the spiritual unity that we have in the first order doctrines. Ecclesiastical unity is a a fruit and a branch of the former. So within a local church, we can have unity within our local church only because we have unity in these first order doctrines, the primary things of of the faith that we have in the primary doctrine column, right? And all of these different churches that meet on Sunday mornings that from an outsider's perspective may look opposed to one another actually can stand together and say, we are actually flowing from the same place. Right. We're, we're, we're a, a different branches, but we're all attached to the same trunk. That all flows back down to the same root. Uh, that is really critically important. You know, I'm, I'm out here in uh, Utah. Mormonism started through Joseph Smith who said all of these Christian denominations are corrupt, all their professors are corrupt, uh, all these denominations are an abomination. And he was saying, you know, I I wanted to know which denomination was true, as though you had Methodists, Presbyterians, Baptists, so on and so on, all claiming to be one true churches. Because that's Joseph Smith's mindset, and that's Mormonism's mindset, is there can Mm -hmm. only be one true church, and it's going to be uniform all the way down the line. So Joseph Smith was saying, where's the one true uniform church? Well, what we say as biblical churches is that there's never going to be one uniform church, even though we have a uniform confession that starts with the gospel and flows into our dogmatic theologies that we all agree on. There's going to be expressions that extend from that that are going to separate us on Sunday mornings, but not separate us in the faith. Amen. And that's that's a really hard concept for a lot of people to to grasp. Yes. And I think there's a there's a, a connecting point even so on on the top of our chart we have that that one line sentence that says primary doctrines should not be violated by other doctrines. These objective truths limit and inform convictions and conscience matters. I think that's a really important uh 
concepts tied in with this where our ecclesiastical unity is a fruit and a branch of our spiritual unity. It flows out of our primary doctrine that where that's what limits us. Right? When we start going off in these different directions and we do have doctrinal differences and we end up with different denominations and we end up in different churches. And yet those things are still limited by the primary column. And mm -hmm. if we violate the primary, when we're trying to suss out all the details of the secondary, well, now we've gone beyond where where it is no longer a fruit in a branch of yes. primary, and we have right. gone off and planted some other different kind of tree altogether. Yes, you can be a continuationist with the sign gifts, believing that those continue today. But if you say, well, actually, the Bible isn't sufficient, and God is still writing books of the Bible, and I'm adding to God's revelation for all people, and I'm uh, this is authoritative and yes. binding over all Christians— you have now been a, a branch that has jumped off the Christian tree and attached itself to the heretic tree. Right. <laughs> uh, we, we have freedom in eschatology, right? There are all yep. kinds of eschatological views that you can have. Unless you start denying that Christ is returning, if you say, like the preterists do, that Christ already returned in the first century, and yep. we're not looking forward to another a second coming of Christ, that that's in our past, again, you've jumped off the Christian tree and you've attached yourself to another tree. Yes. And John Owen here is encouraging us that as we understand there are going to be biblical churches that do have disagreements, in this ecclesiastical unity, this second aspect, he's encouraging us to pursue unity within our local churches. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we would, you know, in, in the context of this podcast and the chart, we would jump to say, we pursue that unity not in opposition to other biblical churches and say, mm. yeah, we're the only true church in our town. You know, we, we don't think that's the case. Uh, that's not the case. And John Owen's not saying that's the case. But it is important that even though we recognize um, we have this foundational unity with our brothers across town at a different church, that we still pursue, pursue unity in our own local church, not to the exclusion of others, but we do have this different kind of unity at the local level, the local family of God where we care for one another. And that's extremely important. Yes. Amen. Well, thirdly, he says there's civil unity. So first was spiritual unity, second was ecclesiastical unity, and thirdly, civil unity, or an agreement about the things of this life, not contending for them nor about them, but rather everyone seeking the welfare of each other. Striving is improper for brethren. Why should those who shall jointly judge the world contend about the world? Now, we kind of had a hard time discerning exactly what John Owen was saying, but you want to throw out a couple of, of ideas there, Ken? Yeah, so it seemed like perhaps it could be, you know, he used the word civil unity, and the idea of civil can have a couple of different ideas. One, just as uh, interact, you know, as we interact with hunters, we want to interact sit in a civil manner. So that's speaks to just how we interact with one another. Um, civil unity could also, we also sometimes think of civil being, uh, like our governments, our politics and things of that matter. Those are civil matters, things of matters of our civilization, so to speak. Uh, and so it could be perhaps that he's talking about when he says, uh, civil unity, the things of this life. And later on, he says the, the things about the world that maybe he's talking about the things that are outside of the church, the things of the, around society, of, of how we engage with those things, how we talk about politics, how we engage in different things that 
uh, that we want to be careful about how we engage in those things. Or it could be more of the idea of, of just, hey, we're just, we want to be civil with one another, uh, not, not contending for them nor about them, but rather everyone seeking the welfare, welfare of each other. What comes to mind is a Romans 14 passage where we, won't, we don't want to be a stumbling block to one another. Like we're, we're actually seeking to build one another up and we don't want to do something that's going to cause them to stumble. And so it could be, honestly, I, you could almost go both ways with it. it just it reading could, the could paragraph. Be, it could be both. Maybe his intentions were both. Maybe we shouldn't try to make it into an either or. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So be civil with your yeah. opinions, Paul is saying. But now it's really critical, though, is if, if that's going to happen, if we're going to fulfill this verse, we have to have some sort of a paradigm where there is a category <laughs> for things that we shouldn't judge each other on. Because, I mean, listen to this. A couple of words in this verse are important. Uh, one is judge and the other is brother. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Mm-hmm. So, number one, you've got to determine who your brother is. You have to have some sort of paradigm for saying that. And if you're saying, well, he's got to be Baptist, you're wrong. So he's got to be something different than that, right? Or he's got to be Presbyterian, or he's got to be a part of my denomination, or whatever. That's not what it is. How do we determine who a brother is? Well, we go back to that spiritual unity, that primary doctrine. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Well, we should judge lots of things in the Christian life. There are uh, objective sins that go on in people's lives that, that should be confronted, I think of in 1 Corinthians, Paul was confronting a lot of specific sins head on. He was putting lots of obstacles in their way as they pursued those sins, right? But there are certain things where we just let it go, and we let our brothers go for it. Now, you have to have some sort of a paradigm to say, okay, now this is in the civil unity realm, as John Owen puts it, or this is in the opinions or doubtful things realm. And again, our chart speaks to that. Yeah, that's it. The, those are, these are the conscience matters that that may affect our friendships, uh, but we can still affirm one another as brothers and sisters in Christ in the same church, even if we have different opinions, different approaches. And again, this is something that we've stressed so many times when we've talked about this column and this issue. We're not saying that these things don't matter. We're not saying that these things, uh, you can do whatever you want and there's no consequences or whatever. Yeah, Again, that we have no guidance on them. We're just totally blind. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, these things are limited by the primary column. So once, you know, whatever your view on alcohol is, if you go out and get hammered, you're violating primary doctrine because scripture is clear about drunkenness. So it's, it, so we have to limit it by the primary column and then... I completely lost my train of thought. It just went out. It was going along the track. It was going, it was going, and then it was off. Yeah. Well, you know, you're not getting any younger, Ken. Talking about wisdom. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Now, the older you get, the longer there's going to be a space between you forgetting and then remembering uh, what you're going to talk about. That was pretty quick, though. Yeah, I brought it back. 
anyway, yeah, there's, there is guidance for us, right? We, we yes. pursue biblical principles and we pursue wisdom. It's not yes. that these things don't matter and that there's no consequences. There are consequences. We do have to pay attention to our conscience, but when we do re reckon with things and we apply biblical principles, there are, is freedom to have different opinions based off of biblical principles within yeah. these doubtful things. And so much of that is situational, depending on your particular context, uh, because what you do has an effect on the people around you, and the people around you are going to be different in some contexts rather than other contexts, and so there's just so much wisdom that you need in those areas, and uh, and that can make it that can make it difficult. But if our heart is to not put an obstacle or a stumbling block in our brother's way, but to build one another up instead, then we're going to be okay. We will be okay, but it's a it's a tough one. And depending on how big your church is, you may have people that you fellowship with where you disagree with them on ninety percent of the things in the opinions realm. <laughs> uh, you know, I think smaller churches there's less and less variance on those things. But the bigger the church gets, I mean, you could come across somebody and be like, "Wow, we are not seeing eye to eye on on movies, on politics, on anything." <laughs> um, but you have to recognize, again, like Ken was saying, to an extent, that is okay. There is, there is a significant amount of freedom in those areas uh, that God has given us, and we just need to look to be good stewards of, of what God has provided. Amen. So good job, John Owen. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, John. Yeah. I wonder what, what his accent was like. That's an interesting... Because I was about to do a John, John Owen, uh, you're welcome, guys, voice. I don't know what his accent was. You're, you're welcome, young men. Probably not that. Oh, nuts. Uh, well, one thing I remembered is that we're recording this on February 4th. In two days, it's our two-year birthday for Do Theology. Oh, that's right. We should have had cupcakes with candles. Nuts. Yeah. Missed opportunity. But for those of you who have been listening, for however long you've been listening, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. We, we hope this is helpful. We want to keep making it more and more helpful. So talk to us, R respond to us. Let us yeah. know what you're thinking. Show at dotheology.com. You can email us there. Facebook.com slash dotheology. Send us a Facebook message. And one of the things that we've been doing is encouraging you. Many of you have the messenger app on your phone and there's a little button there to record an audio message. If you record it, use it like a voicemail. You can record that and send it to us and Hey, maybe we'll play you on the show and, and you can hear yourself as you listen to that episode and we'll respond to your thoughts, etc. Um, we do encourage you to keep those thoughts somewhat brief. I think uh, Facebook limits it to a minute anyway. Um, but so there is that limitation, but we will look forward to perhaps hearing from some of you through that means. The, the next one that we'll get will be, hey guys, I you had John, you were quoting John Owen and, and he's a heretic because he taught such and such. You should never have him on again. Click. Probably. Then we'd say, hey, check out the chart. That's right. Do, do theology. theology. Slash chart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next time, do theology.